Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, a senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Well, hello church, how you doing? You doing good? Oh man, it's so good to be here with you in this beautiful city of Perth. And what better place to be on a Sunday morning and Global Heart Church. Come on, it's so good. Hey, before you take to your seats, turn to your wife. I'm gonna give you a bit of hint this time. Last time I said, turn the person next to you. Some people didn't turn to their wife. But turn to your wife and say, you're looking good this morning. If you don't have a wife, just turn the person next to you and say, you're looking good. In the first service, I saw people that were obviously married and they turned to the other person. You could just see the wife's face like. <laughs> you can take your seats. You can take your seats, but make sure you bring them back, uh, which would be great. And uh, I'm so glad that you are here. And I always like to say uh, in Melbourne, I always start off the service. If you are new here today with us, I am glad that you are here. And uh, this morning, you may think, hear things that are a bit uh, different to what you're used to hearing, a bit foreign, or maybe challenges your ideology and thinking on things. And I just want to say that's okay. And you may be coming here also a bit, a bit sceptical. And I want to tell you, for the first 21 years of my life, I would have called myself a sceptic, uh, more so an atheist. And in fact, I had a short season where I would call myself an agnostic, which I was like, I wasn't sure if there was a God. But it was in a service like this. In fact, Sunday morning, it was 11 a.m. service, that for the first time, I heard the message of God. I heard that there was a God in heaven that loved me. I didn't fully uh, grasp the full concept of that. But I felt something on the inside for the first time that resonated with me, that for the first time seemed so true. I responded to the message. And at that day, all those years ago, 2005, I began my journey with God. And I wanna tell you, it's been a crazy journey. It's been an amazing journey. This is why I found, uh, come on, as the Bible says, real life. Come on, this is where I found uh, my wife. Come on, this is where I've been released into all I believe God has for me. And uh, I also do want to tell you, I'm going to teach from the Bible this morning. Uh, some people uh, feel that the Bible is boring. I want to say sorry. You know, it's just being communicated to you by a boring person. Okay, hopefully this morning I'm not boring, uh, which will be good. We can have fun in the house of God. Amen. We can have fun in church. So if you hear anything uh, particularly great or you want to laugh or you want to holler, you want to say preach, preach. Uh, if you want to stand on your chair, if you want to hold it above your head, and go, oh, whatever you want to do that makes you excited, uh, you can do that. Um, we can have fun in the house of God. In fact, if you're in this place this morning and you're saying, you know what, we can't have fun in church, I want to tell you, you can be dismissed uh, quietly, uh, just out the back, don't make a noise. Uh, but we're going, to have, uh, we're going to have fun in the house of God. But we're also going to learn something uh, as well this morning. And if you don't know me, as they already introduced me, I'm not going to spend too much on this. Uh, my wife, uh, my name's Eli, my wife, Fatima, who preached well this morning, I heard in Melbourne for the first time. And uh, my two little kids, Max and Chloe, Chloe is four and uh, Max is two and they just think daddy's gone to the shops. They're like, <laughs> where's daddy? He's gone to the shops. Uh, yeah, I'll be back in four days. Um, uh, we moved to Melbourne and, uh, and, and started, I got the privilege and the honour to start uh, Global Heart Church Melbourne. And I just want to tell you this. If you don't believe God is on the move, I want to tell you God is on the move. If you still don't believe me, take a look around this room. Come on, God is not ch dead. Church is not dead. Come on, God is alive. He's active. Come on, He's doing things, not just here in this location, but all 
the round the world. Uh, if you're here this morning and you don't like the message, that's totally cool. I'm not the normal speaker. Okay, so if you're like, man, that wasn't too good, come back next week. Uh, Pastor Jared will be back. Uh, I said in the first service, I'm the entree, he's the main course, but hey, maybe you don't like the main course, you like dessert, skip straight to dessert, whatever it is. Uh, you can come next week and, I, and I'm sure it will be good. If you want to take notes, uh, let me encourage you to do that. They say paper doesn't lie. Uh, if you're on your phone, you're on Facebook, just pretend you're taking notes. Uh, it's totally good, it'll make me feel better. I'm not insecure, it's all good. But what I'm going to talk about today, uh, and the title of my message, it's very simple. It's what is a Christian? <laughs> what is a Christian? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you in this uh, hour and 45 minutes we have together. Lord, I just pray that as I speak, God, people will walk away different than the way that they come in. Whether they've been to church a thousand times or this is their first time. Lord, I'm believing by your power, God, by your spirit, Lord, that you will implant something on the inside of people. God, that is so true, that is so real, that Lord, they'll begin or continue that journey with You in Jesus' mighty name. So what is a Christian? Come on, it seems like such a simple question. Maybe you're here, maybe a friend invited you, uh, maybe you saw on TV what a Christian is like, or maybe you Googled it, or, or maybe a friend of a friend told you what a Christian they met was like. You have this concept of what is a Christian? Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you put on the census, I'm a Christian, but you've never actually asked yourself, how would you define that term, I'm a Christian? Maybe someone asked you, oh, you're a Christian, what does that mean? And then you're stumped trying to think of, how do I answer that question? What does it mean to be a Christian? Come on, it's a good question. Come on, we're in church. We should be able to answer the question, uh, what is a, a Christian. In fact, you know, Christian was not all through the Bible. Come on, the Bible's not filled with the term Christian. In fact, the first time Christian is mentioned in the Bible is in the New Testament after Jesus has already died and been resurrected. It's in the book of Acts 11 verse 26. Is the first time that we, the followers of Jesus, were actually called Christians. In fact, before then, what we would consider we are now, they were called people of the way. I don't know if that sounds cooler or whatever, you know, maybe we should switch it up. Are you a Christian? No, I'm a follower of the way. Uh, or we were called Nazarites, which, you know, is even weirder. But back then, that's what they were called back then. In fact, what Christian literally means is a follower of Jesus. If you say you're a Christian, it means you're a follower of Jesus. So my next, next question I want you to ask yourself, well, what does, it, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Thanks for asking. And that's what I'm going to answer uh, this morning. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, the Bible's full of examples of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus or what is expected of us to be a follower of Jesus. And one of the people I'm going to talk to, uh, talk to you about today as an example of a follower of Jesus is one of my favourite characters. Preachers always say that, one of my favourite verses, one of my favourite characters. This is, in fact, my favourite character uh, uh, in the Bible, favourite disciple, favourite follower of Jesus in the Bible, and his name is Peter. And why I love Peter? Because Peter gives me hope as a Christian. I'm like, if Peter can be in the Bible, can Peter can do all these amazing things, hey, maybe God can use me. But Peter also humbles me because it reminds me that I don't always have to have it all together. Peter, in fact, became the unofficial leader of Jesus' 12 closest disciples. And Peter was a man's man. Peter was a fisherman. Okay, in fact, he was such a fisherman, he was from a place called Bethsaida, which means house of fishing. So he was a fisherman in a place called house of fishing. He was not a, a scholar, he was not a, he was not a pastor, he was not a, he, you know, a religious theologian, he was a fisherman. And this is who Jesus chose to use. 
I like Peter because Peter was sort of like an act first sort of person. In fact, Peter, if you read through the Bible, Peter was the one who stepped out of the boat, come on into the water uh, and walked on the water like Jesus. Come on, I said to the, the young adults yesterday, you know, we sing that song, you're the only one that's walked on water. And I'm thinking of the verses like, well, actually Peter walked on water as well. So it should be you like one of two that walked on water. <laughs> um, but anyways, that's another sermon altogether. And uh, you know, Peter was the first one, or Simon Peter was the first one to acknowledge uh, that, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, come on, the Son of God, the one that was sent to deliver them. Uh, you know, Peter was also, when they came to arrest Jesus, Jesus, the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. Peter was the one who whipped out a sword and sliced off one of the, uh, um, the, the soldiers' ears, Malchus. Come on, Peter was that sort of guy, like, don't think about it, just act straight away. Come on, Peter was this sort of person. In fact, Peter's name was not always Peter. When Jesus first met him, his name was Simon. And Simon literally means reed, like, you know, those things that are at the, at the shore of the water. And, you know, it's funny because he was a fisherman and reeds would have been like annoying to fishermen. It's like you have to push through them to get your boat onto shore. Like, so he was named, you know, this annoying thing to fishermen. And then all of a sudden, his name changes to Peter. And it wasn't because of his demeanour. It was because he had a revelation of who Jesus is. In fact, you know, uh, Simon Peter or Peter's small town naivety, okay, or, or, or unabashed machoism made him a sort of like, you know, take, take action sort of leader. And as we read through the Bible, Jesus takes special delight in Peter. Uh, a picture, uh, Peter's foot and mouth, constant bouts of foot and mouth would have given Jesus lots of time of laughter. This is Peter. But particularly what I want to talk about today when we're trying to answer this question is what is a Christian or how should a Christian behave or how should a Christian act is a story that I'm going to tell you which nearing the, the end of Jesus' time here on earth. Jesus is about to be uh, crucified. Uh, Jesus is about to be resurrected, tortured and resurrected. Uh, this, is, this is a time in there. And, 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 and Peter, from this story, we get a very good glimpse of, hey, what's the expectation we should have in this moment of a follower of Jesus? Or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and a friend invited you, uh, invited you, what is your expectation or what should our expectation of be of someone who calls themselves a Christian? What should be the standard that we hold them to? And also in this story that I'm going to share with you, we get a beautiful picture of what Jesus expects of us, what Jesus requires of us. And just before I read this first, I've got to give you a little bit of context. You know, Jesus sits down, Peter, uh, and he says to him, you know what, um, Peter, he gives him a little bit of a trailer, a little bit of a, this is what's happening next season. Um, you know, uh, we're about to go into a tumultuous time. I'm about to be, I'm about to be executed. And Peter, you're actually going to deny me. Okay, you're actually going to walk away from me. So I'm going to read you this story. It's going to come up on the screen. It's in Luke chapter 22. And Jesus says, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. I'm going to explain that in just a bit. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers so you will not fail, but also you'll come out of it and you'll be able to strengthen other people. Verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. Come on, that sounds like awesome. I've got you, Jesus, I've got you back. Verse 34, and he said, Jesus responded, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you even know me. See, Peter had 
good intentions in this moment. Come on, we never have an intention to desert Jesus. We never have an intention to turn our back on Him. But shortly after, in the same retelling, Mark tells us, the disciple Mark tells us in his gospel that Jesus is arrested. And Peter has a little bit of a distance and, and Peter follows Jesus to where he's getting trialed uh, by the, the religious leader, but he's standing at a distance and it says while he's standing at the distance and he's warming himself by the fire, trying to look inconspicuous, it says a small servant girl notices him and says, I know you, I've seen you, you're friends with Jesus. And this happens three times from three people and actually Peter does deny Jesus three times. And it says this in Mark 14, verse 71, and it says, uh, uh, before the third time, verse 71 it says, but he began to curse and swear. Come on, come on, this is Peter, the super disciple, super Christian, and he's just blurting out all sorts of expletives, like, you know, dropping bombs. He says, I don't even know this man you are talking about. Third time, immediately a rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. Have you ever had good intentions? But as you start to outwork those intentions, as you started to outwork them, you not only fail at it, but you stuff it up more than when you started. <laughs> when I got married, I have a story. Um, as a bachelor, uh, I lived with a couple of guys and, you know, I had the washing machine and I had the dryer. So when I got married, the guys had to move out, obviously, because that would have just been weird. And, um, <laughs> and I got married and so I had the dryer and the washing machine. But when you're a bachelor, you know, you probably do like one load of washing per month. <laughs> and, uh, but little do you, know, do you know this, if you're married and you've got kids, especially when you've got kids, it's like the dryer is like always running. It's like always raining, particularly in a house in Melbourne where it's always raining. Um, you know, the dryer is going all the time. We don't even need to switch the heater on because the dryer is just constantly keeping the house warm. But when my wife uh, moved in, we were a house in Heathridge, you know, I had this pretty brand new dryer. It was still under warranty, but all of a sudden, uh, the dryer stopped working. Not to panic. Come on, I'm a man. Uh, as all men do, I was like, I can fix this. You know, it's still under warranty. All I need to do is make a phone call. They probably would have replaced it. It was quite expensive. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to prove to my wife how manly I am. And uh, so I whipped out the toolkit, whipped out the drill, the hammer, um, you know, gave it a few kicks and, you know, it didn't work. I was like, eh, it's no worries. Let's have a look inside, as men do. Turn it around, you know. My wife's looking, yes, yeah, so I'm making sure I'm like flexing as I'm turning the dryer. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm earning some major points right here. So, I pull the back off and, you know, I can't see what's going on. Oh, let's keep going. I pull the drum out, you know, pull the belt off. What's this cable? I don't need that. Uh, you know, hit this with a hammer. And, you know, I couldn't put it back together. <laughs> I didn't fix it. And here's another tip for you. Do not do this exercise in the lounge room. My wife comes home and there's bits of the, the, the dryer all over the lounge room, all over the floor. There's water, there's spills, there's all that yucky mucky stuff that's in your dryer, like smeared on the couch. Um, but I started out with good intentions, but I ended up stuffing it and I had to throw in a bin. It was probably an easy fix for a technician. And I was so stubborn. I was so angry that I didn't buy another dryer. I could have bought another dryer. I just went to Kmart and bought those $6 clothes racks. And we had a whole kitchen full of six. I could tell my wife was annoyed, but we were newly married. So we weren't at that stage where she'd tell me off. So I had a... Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And then I uh, still, I don't have them. We got to dry now. It's all good. Um, she left it for a little bit. But you know what? 
had good intentions, but I ended up stuffing it in the end. See, Peter had good intentions. And Jesus knew he had good intentions, but he says this thing to Peter. He says, I've asked, the devil has asked permission to sift you, Peter, but I have prayed for you. The devil's asked for permission to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. See, the devil comes to sift us. One of the things the devil comes to sift us, what are you talking about, Pastor? What is sifting? Sifting means to separate. Come on, the devil's not just about to distract you or show you something so horrific that it throws you off. No, he just wants to sift you. He wants to point you in another direction or sometimes he wants to distract you so much with things that are unimportant for the call of God in your life that you will never see that there's actually a God direction for your life. The devil has come to sift you, Peter, but I pray for you that you will not lose your faith. See, Jesus didn't pray that He would spare Peter from the situation. He didn't say, hey, look, I've prayed that no one will touch you. No, He said, I pray that your faith would stay strong through the situation. And then out of it, Peter would become a better man of God and a better leader. That, that in this point, Jesus, Jesus knew exactly what was gonna happen. It wasn't a surprise what Peter was about to do. It wasn't a surprise that Peter would deny him. He actually pre-warned him that's what was gonna happen. In fact, nothing that Peter would do would change the relationship in Jesus' eyes between them both. But what it would do for Peter was it would humble him. Come on, it would cause him in his heart to become a better man, to become a better leader, come on, to become more compassionate. And I believe that the other disciples would look at the courageous leader in his failure and somehow it would be make their failures more easy to bear. And same it is with us, that everything you've done or everything you're gonna do or everything you're gonna say is not a surprise to Jesus. In fact, nothing that you can do, say, or act will affect how Jesus loves you or your relationship with Jesus. In fact, He knows all our sin, yet He chose to take it upon the cross. Come on, that's good news. Nothing you can say will disappoint Him, will let Him down. And if Jesus decides to spare you from a situation, He will. But if He won't, it says that He sits at the right hand of the Father and He intercedes. He prays on your behalf, come on, that your faith will not fail through it. And just like Peter, when you come out from the other side, come on, it will be a great expression. It'll be a great example of how God's love can change the heart of a willing believer. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 to 4 says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Come on, that sounds good. Who comforts, comforts us in all our troubles so that we get this, can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see, sometimes, you know, God allows us to go through trials. Yes, He carries us through the trials, but sometimes He's equipping us because, hey, soon as you get through the other side and you've come out the other side, God will use you to comfort someone else who's right in the middle of the same situation that you've just come out the other side of. God's not about sparing us from hard times. He's about sustaining us to grow through hard times so we can be better men and women of God on the other side. As I said, Peter had good intentions. I believe that he believed that he would actually follow Jesus to the cross. He would follow Jesus to the death. He would follow Jesus 
to prison. But isn't it so that when it's only when we're faced, come on, at the line, when we're faced against the very surface of that trial, do we really know what's inside us? This is a word for someone. Let it be an encouragement to you. No matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, God still loves you the same. It doesn't change how God feels about you. Get this, even if you don't acknowledge that He exists and maybe never acknowledge He exists, it doesn't change how much He loves you. God is not interested in our religion. What's religion? It's works. <laughs> it's like I've got to prove my position with God. God is not interested in our religion. He sent Jesus for our relationship. Religion is our effort to earn God's approval. True Christianity is putting in, in effort because we know we have God's approval. Religion tells us you are not good enough or you are never enough, but Christianity says you are good enough through Christ Jesus. Religion is our effort to ascend to God, but Christianity is Jesus God coming down to us. Religion is performance, but Christianity is having the right posture before God. Come on, we can get this so confused. It's not about our effort. It's about Jesus' love for us. But back to the story. So, you know, it says that, that Peter is filled with remorse. And in fact, it says that he weeps when he realises what's actually happened, that he's denied Jesus and what Jesus prophesied has actually come true. So Peter is in a low moment. And I'm going to read John 21 for you in just a moment. But what does Peter do? Come on, Peter does what I think I would do when I, I feel like I've let God down is, or, or it's all ended up, is, is Peter goes back to what's familiar to him. It says Peter goes back to fishing. Come on, he's a, he's a fisherman. He's like, you know what, boys, it's been a good three years with Jesus. How exciting was that? All the amazing things we've seen, but it's come to an end. And I've, I didn't even end well. In fact, I ended in a terrible way. I feel down, hey, let's, just, let's get away. Come on, let's go out into the deep ocean and let's do some fishing. But as they're fishing in, in John 21, I'm going to read in just a moment. It says they're fishing and as they're out with the boat, it says Jesus comes to the shore. Jesus has been resurrected. They don't know it's Jesus, but Jesus comes to the, to the shore and he's so far, they're so far away they can't tell it's Jesus. But then Jesus yells out to him and says, hey boys, as you said, a fisherman, you caught anything? No. And then Jesus says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And what Jesus is doing is he's, he's recounting a miracle, the miracle that first got Peter saved in the first place. And, he, and they cast the net over the other side and it says that they caught such a large catch of fish once again that the boats nearly began to sink. And in that moment with their physical eyes, they could not see that it was Jesus, but in his heart, he's like, I know who this is. And I love how the writer explains this in John. It says that he's so excited, he doesn't even wait for the boat to turn around. It says that he puts clothes on, which is another sermon altogether. They were fishing naked. Um, <laughs> that's when you know you're really letting it go. It's like, <laughs> it says that he puts his clothes on and he jumps into the water and then starts swimming towards Jesus. He's like, I'm not waiting for the boat to come. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna swim towards Jesus. And it says he gets to the shore and they have a meal together. John 21, verse 15 to 17, it says this. So after they had finished breakfast, 
Jesus said to Simon Peter, He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? He said to him. And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said to him again, uh, then he said to him, tend to my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. And then once again, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said, why do you ask me a third time that do I love you? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. I'm going to explain this just in a moment. It's going to to be beautiful. But the first thing I acknowledge is that Jesus first comes to the boys. You know, sometimes when we feel like we've let God down or we've made a mistake or we've stuffed it or we've hurt somebody or we've hurt God. Often we feel this pressure, it's like, oh, I need a return to God. Yeah, and sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to get ourselves back in the house of God. Sometimes we need to get ourselves right with God. But something so beautiful is happening is that Jesus comes to them. It's like, I love you so much. I have so much grace. Come on, unmerited favour. I have so much mercy for you that I'm actually gonna come to your proximity. So I'm not gonna make this difficult for you. I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna see what you do. And, and Peter jumps in the water. He turns back from this path to the other path. We call that repentance. <laughs> he turns back to Jesus because Jesus wants to reinstate Peter in this moment. And they share a meal together. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Come on, that's such a beautiful picture. Come on, sometimes we've put a wall. Come on, sometimes we've put a door from our guilt. Come on, from our shame. I, I can't even face Jesus. I can't even open the door. I can't even see Him. But Jesus is like a beautiful picture just standing at the door like, you know, like that desperate boyfriend. But it's not, it's Jesus. (laughs) Strip that from the uh, podcast. But he's standing at the door and all we need to do is says, if you just open the door, come on. It's as simple as that. You don't have to jump through hoops. That Jesus calls back into relationship with him. But hear this, it wasn't just, yeah, open the door, everything's good. Uh, We're good now, come on. It says that Jesus pulls Peter aside because he knows that Peter is not in the right place. In fact, he calls him Simon. He reverts to using his name Simon because he knows in this moment that Simon Peter is shaken. Come on, he's not a sure Peter rock foundation anymore that he's reverted back to the reed. Come on, he's unstable. And Jesus knew, hey, in order for him to go where I need him to go, to take him to the next level, I need him to be right with me. But like with us, Jesus knew exactly what Peter needed. So you gotta hear this, is that Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? (laughs) It's like he reverses the curse three times. See, sometimes we think God is all grace. (laughs) It's like, yeah, no matter what I do, Jesus is gonna set me back, it's all good. But Jesus comes to bring grace, undeserved favour, but also comes to bring truth. 
John 1 verse 17 says, For the law has given us, was given to us through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. You need both. You can't just have full acceptance without it being addressed and some truth be spoken into the situation. Come on, though, we've all met those people who are all truth, but they don't have the Spirit of God in them. <laughs> and we met people who are all grace. I've come to realise that some people are all grace. It's more about them. It's just like, I don't want to offend anybody because I want everybody to like me. But the people who've had the most impact in my life are those who come with grace and truth. The Bible says we bring truth with love. Come on, you've all met those people who don't bring truth with love. There's this great quote. It says, truth without grace is like surgery without anesthesia. It's like... Hey, Jordan, I see this in you, mate. You need to fix this. And you're like, Jordan said to me during the break, he said, it's the other way too. He's like, all grace with no truth is just like taking anesthesia. You just get high like, yeah, man, son, everything's awesome. (laughs) But I'm going to finish with this and most beautiful part of this story because we can read that whole interaction between Jesus and, Pe- and Peter where he's like, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Three times and we're like, oh, what's, what's going on here? And what I've realised is that our English language lets us down on the beauty of the transaction that's actually happening here. Because the words that they're used for love, the love is mentioned six times here, but there's different words for love used in different scenarios in different times where Jesus is asking. In fact, there's two terms of love used here. One is agapeo, and the other is phileo. And I said in the first service, if you don't believe my Greek, I checked this, the local kebab store with Nico. He said, that's exactly how he said it as I was ordering a euros. He says, agapeo. So when Jesus first says to Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agapeo, and this is what agapeo means. It means an all-encompassing love that puts the needs and well-being of the object of one's love above everything, including one's own needs, come on, and does so irrespective of the object's response. It's a love that the Lord has for us demonstrated on the cross. But when Peter responds, Simon Peter responds, he doesn't use the same word. When When Jesus says, do you love me, agapeo, he responds with the word, love word, phileo. And phileo means affection of something, often the love of friends. It's the love that when we find qualities in that person that appeal to us and create a warm fondness of that person. So it's like two stages of love. Jesus comes to Peter with this high standard of love that it's an encompassing love that no matter you know, what your response is, I'm gonna love you. And, 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 and Peter comes with, yeah, yeah, I like you because I like things about you. I love you because I love things about you. Second time Jesus says the carpeo, Peter responds with phileo. But the third time, Jesus switches the love that he uses. And he switches from this agapeo, this high standard of love, and he switches to the same love that Peter uses. He says, do you phileo love me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo love you. Finally, the third question, the Lord substituted Peter's word because he knew, and both Peter knew as well, 
that his new understanding of himself, this new humble self from the situation that he just gone through would not permit him to brashly admit that he has the same love as God. He was no longer the Peter like, of course, yeah, I love you exactly the same. He knew now his limitations. He's no longer super Christian, but by Jesus coming down to Peter's form of love, he was saying, hey, Peter, do you love me as much as you can? Peter says, I can. And Jesus says to Peter, as He would say to us, well, that's enough. Friend, I wanna tell you, you are enough. When it comes to Christianity, it's not, it's about right intention, not perfection. I put this, do your best, accept you are blessed, and allow Jesus to help you accomplish the rest. Do your best, accept you are blessed and allow Jesus to help you accomplish the rest. Come on, this is not like, hey, I'm gonna do a little bit and Jesus, you fill in the rest. It's like, no, Jesus, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can as a flawed human being. But God, I also accept your gift. Lord, I also accept I'm blessed. I also accept that you love me unconditionally. Lord, I'm trusting You to fill in the rest. Like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Friend, what could we accomplish when we fully understand that without Jesus, we're nothing. The Bible says, We all fall short for the glory of God, but Jesus. Unmerited favour, not by our works, not by our religion, but by Jesus filling in the rest. We stand to your feet. I'm gonna finish in just a moment. What I've come to realise over these years and as God continues to allow me to go through all sorts of trials to grow me into the man He wants me to be. One thing I've realised along the way is that me, you, we're all incapable of filling this void that we have on the inside on our own. The Bible says that we're all born in a sinful nature. What does that mean? We're all destined to spend eternity without God. God knew that we were gonna fail, so He sent a Saviour. Come on, if finances were our problem, God would have sent an economist. Come on, if popularity was our problem, God would have sent a Kardashian. If our biggest need was entertainment, God would have sent an entertainer. Come on, but our biggest need was saving. So God sent a Saviour. And like Peter, sometimes we got to make that decision. Come on, to not wait for things to come in line, but to come on, pull up our girds, jump off our boat and say, I'm coming to Jesus as fast as I can. As I can. And I come to you just as I am. You know what guilt is? 
guilt is feeling bad about what we've done. You know what shame is? Shame is feeling bad about who we are. But what I love about God is it says He took our guilt and our shame upon that cross. And friend, right across this room, in this moment, you may not fully understand it, but I can tell you the Spirit of God is here. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. And I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. This is not some weird religious thing I'm getting you to do. This is just so you can forget about the people around you because I want you in this moment to have a time that's just between you and God. Not about the person on your left, not about the person on the right, not about the person who invited you. But in a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity. Just like Peter, to make a confession, to make a declaration that, hey, I've messed up. I'm heading in the wrong direction. And Jesus, I acknowledge, just like you did with the boys at the shore, that you are in the proximity of me right now, God. And if you're real, I do not wanna leave this place without knowing the plan that you have for my life. And I'm gonna count to three. And with no one looking around, if that's you and you're saying, you know what, I don't fully understand it, everything that's happening right now, but in this room, I sense there's something bigger happening. Come on, there's something happening in here that I don't understand. Friend, I wanna tell you, we call that the Spirit of God. And you're saying, you know what, I, I don't know what it is, but I want what He's saying. When I get to three, you raise your hand, put it down again. And by raising your hand, you're signifying to me, that's me. And I'll include you in a simple prayer because that's what the Bible tells us to do, to pray together. And as you pray that prayer, as we pray it together, the Bible says, come on, there will be a supernatural transaction occurring in the heavenlies that Jesus will now say, hey, that's enough. Let me do the rest. And we'll start that relationship with Jesus. But understand in the size of this room, come on, there's people here, let's be honest. Maybe you stuffed up. Maybe you thought you've let God down. And as I spoke today, and as I said, there's nothing that you could do that can separate you from the love of God. Something resonated on the inside, friend. And I wanna tell you, it's time to stop fishing. It's time to get off that boat. It's time to jump back in the water and go, Jesus, I wanna go again. And if that's you, when I get to three, friend, right where you're standing, I want you to lift your hand up as well. And I'd love to include you in that prayer as well. So first time, I've never done this or I'm coming back to God. When I get to three, you raise your hand. Friend, you're in a safe place. Come on, we're gonna see God do miracles right now in this room. Here we go. One, two, three. If that's you, fantastic. Straight away in the middle. Who else? Who else? Awesome. Another two in the middle. I see you, young man, young lady. Who else? Up the front, on the side, I see you. Who else? One, two, three, four. Come on, who else? Five. Up the back. Wave nice and high so I can see. I don't want to miss anybody. Come on, this is an important moment. No one looking around. Fantastic. You can put your hands down. Come on, can we give all these people 
It says there's celebration in heaven. Can we cheer for them? Come on. What I'm going to do right now, as I said, I'm going to lead you through this prayer. Everyone else is going to join in so you don't feel alone. But the key with this prayer is be sincere. Believe it, as we call, believe it with all your heart. And as you pray this prayer, you may not feel any different, but I tell you, you have started that supernatural journey that I did myself all those years ago as a 21-year-old. And I'm excited for you, genuinely excited for you as you continue to pursue God, what God will not just do in you, but through you. So maybe bow your head so you're comfortable again. Everyone, big voice. Let's go. Dear God, I thank You that You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for me living life my own way. I believe in Your finished work on the cross. Help me from this moment to the rest of my life to follow after You. In Jesus' mighty Name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.